Mom Talk Radio. We know behind every soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is the family supporting them. With over 200 episodes in 17 countries, over five seasons, with three million monthly listeners, we are Radio Strong. Now, here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. Sandra Beck, and we've got a great show today. We're going to talk about principle-centered leadership. Now, I know that was Stephen Covey's book that everybody talks about, but we're going to actually deconstruct some of these things and talk about what leadership looks like today. And no, we're not going to go political, but we are going to go corporate, and we're also going to talk about leadership as it applies to the home and the office, because for me, I'm self-employed business owner, and I have... um, Issues between wearing a hat as a company leader, as a family leader, and jumping between the two. So before we do, we're going to get a message from Lyft, our sponsor today. Now, I want to talk to you about the opportunity of driving with Lyft and how you can get an extra $500 bonus. Now, I know as entrepreneurs and telecommuters and, and work-at-home moms and dads that there are dance lessons to pay for. There's hockey and football and your college fund. And if you're like me, there's training programs or office equipment that you can't afford right now on what you're making. And one of the things that you can do, and this is what I really like about Lyft, is you can become a driver for their program. So if you are in between appointments, if you are, you know, at home working and you don't have any income for the day, you know, I'm a big one that calculates my income every day, so I'm not surprised at the end of the month, but you can drive for Lyft. And Here's the cool thing about drive, driving for Lyft is that there are other ride-sharing apps out there, but Lyft is the one that treats their drivers right, and all you need is a car. Like That is so great for you to make extra money anytime, and you can make up to $35 an hour and just use your phone, which I think is really awesome, and you can drive mornings, on nights, and weekends, and you can earn your tips right through the app and you cash out once you've made $50. So you think of it like $50 bills just coming out of your phone right into your account and you get to keep 100% of your tips. Now, if you are interested in driving for Lyft and getting your extra $500 bonus, you need to complete the 100 rides within 30 days and you need to sign up to go to lift.com front slash work smart. That's lift, L-Y-F-T dot com front slash work smart. It all adds up. You will get that $500 new driver bonus when you complete your 100 rides in 30 days. It is a great experience. It's a great opportunity. It works seamlessly with what you're doing already, and it gets you out. If you like to talk to people, if you like to interact, and who knows, you may drive your next client. Now, Without further ado, I am going to go to Linda Crater, who is not only a good friend of mine, she's a radio host, she is all sorts of things wonderful, and she has got some of the most rock-solid leadership of any woman I've ever encountered. So that's a big compliment. Wow. I, I'm honored to hear that. That's that's delightful. So principle-centered leadership or leadership in the family and in the office. You know, for telecommuters, one of the things uh, that I had um, was um, it was a disconnect between going to work and going home, wearing those two hats when I was all in one place. 
Oh, that is a classic problem because you don't want to transfer your work persona over to your family because your children are not your little vice presidents. Um, but, but I see what you're talking about. It is very difficult. You really have to draw the boundaries in order to avoid uh, crossing over where you really don't want to because your family should be one thing and your work another. And leadership in both is somewhat different, and especially in the delivery. Well, it is. And I tend to talk to my kids like they're little soldiers or they're tech geeks. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, especially since I know that they are minor little tech geeks in the making anyway because of your skills. But I I think that in terms of keeping things separate, a lot of that has to do with simply being able to know how to set your own boundaries. But that's a leadership component that's necessary, too, in both places. It is. It is. Um, You know, leadership is a funny thing because – Oh, it's like switching gears on an 18-wheeler. And I have a hard time going from a very organizational culture, you know, in my workplace and (laughs) disorganizational culture that's in my personal life. Well, I used to look forward to going to work on Mondays when my children were your children's ages because it was organized. It was routine. I, I had my very cut and dried roles. And, and at home, it has to be a lot more fluid. And as you say, when you have home offices or you operate from home, it is a lot more challenging, I believe, to make sure that you create either processes or a protocol if you want to stay business oriented, but some means of decompressing before you enter the family space again. Not always possible, but sometimes it only takes, you know, three or four deep breaths and close your eyes and you need a magic wand often. But if you don't have one, you know, something that gives you a break between one and the other, because you can't be the same kind of leader all the time. And yet you're a single mom. You have to be the leader. You have to be the person in charge all the time. And that's exhausting. So not only setting boundaries, but also being kind to yourself is important too. Well, and it, you know, when you said you like, there's something that needs to help you transition and it can't come out of a bottle or a glass. Like that's right. what I've that's, found. There's, that's not there's no time, you know, there's no time uh, for that um, switching gears thing. But I do think a lot of, of telecommuters, entrepreneurs work at home, uh, have a hard time with that um, kind of shifting gears. I think you're right. And you know, one way that I have tackled that in the past is that I know it's going to sound crazy to those of you who love to work in your pajamas, but I do at least pull on a pair of jeans and a t-shirt if I'm working at home. And then if I want to switch into the slouchy uh, sweatpants afterward, that change, washing your face, something like that is minor, but it makes a big difference. So uh, that's, I'm not a good roll out of bed we've talked about this with radio shows, roll out of bed, just do it in your pajamas um, because I can't quite get my work brain on. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I mean, oh, you know, there's many mornings that I get up and I feel shot out of a cannon and I am, I'm like, 
mom, 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 I need my homework. Mom, I need my backpack. Mom, I need my lunch. Mom, there's no run to school, run to school. And then before there's even a minute to transition, I pick up my headset and I'm rolling for the day until it's time. I mean, I've got kids, you know, pickups arranged. Um, But juggling some things is really hard. And, And do you have, like, what do you do when you need to shift gears that way? You know, it's funny. I, I've trained myself over the years that that one mission at a time, if that makes um, valid sense or words to that effect, or it's showtime, or um, I have to simply switch it off. It's compartmentalizing, actually. So the, what has worked most effectively for me is a routine. If it's the radio, there's a glass of water. Um you know, ready, uh, or a cup of coffee or whatever it may be. But, but I think it has to just be something that's easier to know. I just lost my train of thought because you talked about a round table. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> doesn't round take head, round table. In the middle of the day. Um, but I, I just find that I have to set my head straight because otherwise I'm not going to be very effective on the radio. I'm not going to be able to speak clearly or have cogent thoughts like you just saw. So it's a matter of, uh, just, just setting the stage, but one mission at a time. It, multitasking is a myth. And if you try and multi-think, it's very, very difficult to do. And you won't be as effective or good at one thing than if you focused on it. And I think that's something that women in particular try and do too often is the, the old multitasking. I will tell you here and now it's a myth. Oh my gosh, but it's a myth, but I think it's a necessity reality for many of us. I know that when my kids were small and I was building my business, uh, Linda, I would have a playpen in my office. I mean, I have a small office, so I'd, I'd roll this little pack and play playpen and I'd stick one kid in there. Then I would buckle another kid into a car seat right. and I would give them games and I'd stick my feet in there and I'd throw a ball, anything I could do, huh? you know, and I'm doing my radio shows, I'm doing coaching calls and I could do it for a short period of time. Now, did I do my best? Absolutely not. But there are times when when we have to do these things. And this is where I would like by three o'clock in the afternoon, I'd be so hot. Like my head would be pounding. It wouldn't be pain, but I'd be, I think it was just pure adrenaline that got me through. Well, and there are times that you have to do that. You know, perfection is going to kill you if you try to aim for that. So good enough really is good enough when you're talking about the level of performance that you give your work and in your integrity in doing your work. So yes, there are times that we have to do it with only a partial mindset, but if you can, you will find you actually are more effective focusing on one thing and instead of multitasking, which is actually usually task shifting, you're not really multitasking doing multiple things at one time. You're shifting from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. And it is much less effective than if you simply took on one task, got it over with, and went on to the next one. It's a funny discipline for people. But, you know, you you do what you need to do at the times you need to do it. You want to know what one of my tricks are for no. when I have to shift gears really fast? I know this is silly, but um, I learned it in sports because I, I participated in a lot of team sports. I was a swimmer and on the swim team and things, but I also played soccer. And one of my soccer coaches used to do this thing. He'd get us in a huddle. He would tell us what he needed to know, and we'd all be focusing. And then he'd go, break. 
<laughs> right, right. So I started doing that as I shifted gears. Like if I was running in from a parent thing and then, you know, sitting down to do a work thing, I would literally like clap my hands and go break, which annoyed the people working next to me. But it really did cause me to it shift worked. gears quickly. Right, right. And that's a brilliant example. Yeah, thank you. So all the times I got kicked in soccer and cried finally paid off. (laughs) There you go. Life lessons. Life lessons. All right. Well, my name is Sandra Beck, and this is Coach Talk Radio, and we're visiting today with uh, principal-centered leadership expert, Linda Crater. And when we come back from the break, we're going to welcome another voice to our roundtable today. We're going to welcome Ann Tucker. So you're not going to want to miss this. You'll come back after the break, grab a drink, and we'll be here with more information on principal-centered leadership and how to get through your workday. originate in Scotland? Nope. The popular gift wrapping tape was actually developed right here in the United States. In 1926, the Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing Company, 3M, was being a bit rapacious, trying to save a little scratch or money, and started using a cheaper adhesive on their sticky tape. A Detroit automaker ordered some of this newer, cheaper tape to use for spray-painting auto bodies. But the automaker complained because the tape was scotch, a politically incorrect word that meant cheap or stingy. While the tape didn't have the adhesion to satisfy the automaker, it was hardly a Jifu jet. That's an unnecessary thing. It had many other uses, as we all know. So the tape was kept in production, and the name Scotch just stuck. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Oh, the benefits of fiber. A high-fiber diet can lower your blood cholesterol levels, normalize your digestive function, and improve control of your blood sugar levels. It can even help you lose weight by giving you a feeling of fullness longer. So consequently, you don't eat as much. According to Livestrong, the University of Illinois says that we should be consuming 25 to 35 grams of fiber every day. The Journal of the American Diabetic Association found that a diet consisting of whole grain oat cereal, which is high in fiber, decreased LDL levels, which is the bad cholesterol, by almost 8% among overweight adults. So load up on cereal, grains, fruit, and vegetables, and increase your fiber intake. I'm Annette Hammond. For more fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Taking care of Hey guys and dolls, this is Sandra Beck 
and I'm here on Coach Talk Radio, and we're going to add another voice to the mix today, which is so much fun. We're going to welcome, first of all, we welcome back Linda Crater, and we're going to welcome Ann Tucker. Now, Ann Tucker wrote a great book called Undoubtedly Awesome, and I was a big fan of this. I, I brought her on to one of my sister's shows, Powered Up Talk Radio, because we really talked a lot about doubt and fear, and we're going to add the element of doubt and fear into the concept of principle-centered leadership and leadership uh, as defined for today's show is both for the home office the traditional you know organizational structure within a company um, but also for teleworkers and telecommuters because all of these things kind of get blurred lines are getting blurred today and one of the things that I find happens and this is one of the reasons that I'm so excited undoubtedly awesome uh, Ann Tucker is with us is that when you telecommute when you work in a home office, when you have your own business, you have a lot of time, and I'm living proof of this, you have a lot of time with your own thoughts. And that mm-hmm. can really, really uh, do a number on us. And Linda Crater, you work both in the home and in an office, so you do both, correct? I do, and I'm, I'm grateful to have that opportunity because working at home means it's tough to draw the boundaries. Um, but I, I do do both. And I, I do find that the office tends to separate things a lot easier. And I highly recommend, if, if at all possible, to be able to do that or, or a separate space in the home that you can use it in. But you really can, if you follow your mindset, put aside you know, all those extra things you should be doing and focus on your work and getting it done. But it, it is not an always simple thing to do to separate things out. And you talk about doubt and fears. One of the things you do doubt and you do fear is can you not work all the time? Because I think some people think that they may work not enough. I have found that the opposite is true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ann Tucker, welcome to the show. So Thanks. I'd love for you to weigh in on this subject. Yeah. Do you know something that occurred to me as you were talking about that about, and it is true that today the way that we work is changing. We're not always going to an office nine to five. And I think one of the hard things about if you are a telecommuter, if you are working from home is taking yourself seriously mm-hmm. is that, is that it is difficult sometimes, like you said, making those boundaries and saying, okay, this is work time. Cause it's really easy as you're going through your day to the moment that you stand up, you're doing laundry or you're, you're blending your two worlds together. And that the doubt that does creep into your life there is really about um, understanding that what your that your work is important and taking that part of yourself, especially if you're if you're a self starter, if you're doing something mm-hmm. entrepreneurial, taking yourself seriously can be a lot harder in that environment. Well, and I find when you screw up, like that's, you know, like when everything's going good, you know, we're fine. But when I make a mistake and I have my office and my office is a different color than the rest of my house, it's Mm, all like heavy black manly furniture because I'm kind of a slob with like ink and and (laughs) highlighters, you know, because when I originally built my office, I I got one of those Pottery Barn catalogs and everything was white. And I thought, oh, this is beautiful. (laughs) And then I thought about it and I bought everything and turned it black. Um. (laughs) Because, you know, you got toner cartridges laying around and um, lunch. But so I I did try to make a psychological break between the two, like the rest of my house, which is very light and open and airy. And then, you know, I come into, (laughs) I call it the tomb. I come into the tomb. It's your cave. It's my, yeah, it's my girl cave and uh, lady cave or whatever you call it. Um, 
But when I screw up, like I, I make a mistake or I blow something, there's not the drive home to cause that break. I walk into the kitchen and I bring my my mistake and then my doubts and fears kind of grow while I'm cooking dinner because there is no break. I just run down the hall and start slamming dinner in the can. Mm -hmm. Um, that's where I, I, I get in trouble. And I think a lot of people who work from home have that when there's not that big separation between the two. I agree. Mm -hmm. I, I think mm -hmm. it's so easy to just continue to beat yourself up, especially if you work alone, you're entrepreneurial, um, you're creative in any way, shape, or form, or you have to produce something, a work product at the end of the day. It, it undermines your self-assurance. Um, but that, again, is where I, I think if you put into place a couple of things that are your mantras. You know, what did I tell you this week? Um, I'm deliciously imperfect. And, you know, there's just things that you can tell yourself because I'm afraid we're all very guilty of negative self-talk and the doubts and the fears. And then they feed on themselves, which only takes you further down the rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. And, well, and, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. And I just wanted to say, you talk about, you know, how doubt like negatively affects your life and keeps you in this constant loop of anxiety. I'd love for you to mm -hmm. talk about that. Mm -hmm. It's true. And particularly in the context of what you're saying is that, you know, if you're, if you are overthinking something and that means, you know, if you are working from home and if you are blurring those boundaries and if you do take your work home with you and you spend time thinking about it and thinking about it, it's like the conversation that you had, you know, four hours ago and you're replaying in your mind over and over and over again, you start to worry about what you said, you start to overthink it. And, and anytime you stay in the space of considering something, so, and I think about it in terms of making decisions, but it's, it's any kind of work product. If you stay in that space of thinking about it for too long, you're opening yourself up to more and more and, and increasing ambiguity. Basically, the longer that you expand that process of thinking about it, the more ambiguity you create, the harder it is for you to feel good about what you're doing. So it, it's essentially overthinking. It, 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 you never get to an end place. You never get to a place where you're like, oh, I figured it out. I'm good. It, it just makes it more and more difficult for mm -hmm. you to come to peace with it. It's true, but what do you do, Anne, when you want to break that cycle? Do you have a, a tip or trick that you use yeah. to break that cycle? Yeah, sure. It's the key thing is to be aware of your own process, to be aware of what's happening in your own head. And none of us are perfect. We're all going to slip at some point back into habits of ours, but becoming aware of what you're doing and noticing that it's happening allows you to deliberately step out of it, to step out of the pattern. So if, if you have a tendency to stay in that overanalyze, to, to continue to, to beat yourself up, to go through the cycle of should I, shouldn't I, and finding it harder and harder to separate out choices. Say that you're you're trying to complete a project for work and you're not sure if you should go with one vendor or another vendor or if you're doing the right thing at all. And you're thinking about it and thinking about it. And in the morning, option A sounds like the best option. And, and by the evening, you've thought through three other options and you're on to number eight by the end and you can't tell them, any of them apart. So the idea is when you become aware that you're going down that path, you really want to limit your ambiguity. That's the, the key to it all is, is putting boundaries around how mm -hmm. much ambiguity you let in. So if you find yourself letting in too many options, you need to limit your options to no more than three to five. And you want to take that whole process of thinking about it and, and scale it back to what's appropriate to allow you to make a good choice. But when you're starting to just go through it over and over and over again, 
it's more destructive than constructive. You're not actually helping yourself. You're not thinking your way to a better solution. You're just making yourself feel worse about whatever solution you choose. So shortening it and then making yourself forcibly commit to that choice that you made. So really committing and the commitment means not just making the decision. The decision is actually the easy part. That's the part where you sign the paper or the contract or you give them your credit card or whatever it is. But then you have to actually burn your bridges and and make it so that you can't turn back. So, and that's the part where it really frees you from that cycle. Once you're really fully committed to the decision where you've made it, where, where you are, um, there's no way to go back on yourself, no matter to reverse that decision. And, and then you can, you can feel, you feel, end up feeling a lot better about what you've chosen. Well, and don't you think you need some self-talk? Like, you know, and I read your Mm -hmm. book and I, you know, I'm listening to what you have to say. And, you know, one of the things that I've had to say to myself after making these tough decisions, it's like, well, you know what? The the dice cast, this is what I say in my head. The dice cast, you're done. Mm -hmm. It's over. Whatever the outcome is, you'll fix it tomorrow if it's not right. And I have Mm -hmm. to like say that to myself, like, you know, like I'm coaching myself. Right, right. And that, I think that is part of the leap of faith, right? Is that whatever it takes to get you to jump and make that commitment. And it's, it's frequently not easy. Um, but, but when, and that does take the self-talk, it takes time, you know, you, sometimes you have to talk yourself into it, but if you do make the jump, it actually changes the way you think about the, think about the subject is that before you make the jump, you are in a comparison mode where you're taking whatever it is you're thinking about doing it and you're comparing it to all your other options. And the more you compare it, the harder it is for you to like any of your options. It's sort of mm-hmm. like when you, when you first see it, you like it. And, but by the second or third or fourth time you think about that original option, it's like hearing a joke for the second or third or fourth time. And it's just not that funny anymore. And by the time you get through that with all of your options, you're really not sure what you like. Whereas once you commit to something, it takes that same part of your brain, your same way that you, that, that rather than comparing you, it's like you, you, you throw a switch and you start looking at it differently. And rather than holding up one option and comparing it to other things, you start finding the ways in which the thing you chose is better than everything else. It's like you're creating distance between the thing you chose and everything else that's out there. So, so when you buy a new car, have you ever noticed that when you're out driving, you start noticing all the other cars on the road that are like yours, or you'll start Mm -hmm. noticing the ads that come on TV that are talking about how great your car is. And it's like your, your mind starts to deliberately search for confirming information to help you feel good about what you chose. And that it, it literally is, is there's, and there's all kinds of, of, um, specific names that we can give to the, to the processes that your brain goes through to help you to fall in love with your decision. But it only happens after you talk yourself into making that leap to commit. Well, and I think, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, that's like asking your brothers. Like when I was in high school, I'd ask my brothers what they thought of my dress. And one would be like, you know, stripes or one would be like, what color is that? Or, oh my God, you know, no, it's awful. And I could try on everything in my closet and get like, you know, 10 different opinions from four different people. and. You know, that's like asking your own brain. Now, I need to take us to commercial break. We're visiting today with Linda Crater. Uh, Linda, your website's, uh, what's your website? Uh, wisehealth.com. Wisehealth.com. And Ann Tucker, author of Undoubtedly Awesome, your personal roadmap from doubt to flow. And what's your website? Undoubtedlyawesome.com. 
There you go. All right. Easy enough. Okay. So we're going to come back from the break today and we're going to talk more about going from doubt, going from anxiety, going from dumb things like asking three brothers what your dress looks like for prom <laughs> to going into flow. And flow is where we want to be because flow allows us to be our best and to create at our optimum existence. We'll be back after the break. medical practices that patients tend to lie about their health habits. They lie about how much they smoke, understate how much they drink or eat, and overstate how much they exercise. What's another word for those little white lies we like to tell in the examination room? Teradiddles. Doctors have a rule of thumb. Whatever the patient says they're drinking, smoking, or eating, multiply it by two. But it's hard to come clean about your habits when you know you're in for some jobation from the doctor. That's criticism we don't want to hear. If physicians want us to be honest with them, I suggest they try being a little less judgmental and use a little suaviloquence. That's soothing, encouraging talk. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Join us at the J. Eric Johnson Central Library, Saturday, April 30th, 2016, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. for the third annual Dallas Book Festival. The Dallas Book Festival presents annual literary events showcasing works by internationally acclaimed authors as well as national, regional, and local authors representing diverse regions of the world. This family event includes artistic and cultural performances, film and book presentations, educational workshops, and children's activities. The Dallas Book Festival has a purpose to continue the goal of promoting a love for books, reading and literacy through multilingual and multicultural activities with a focus on spotlighting the city of Dallas and its wide range of ethnic and cultural diversity. For more information, contact Ronnie Jesse at ronnie.jesse at dallascityhall.com or call 214-670-7809. That's 214-670-7809. The Dallas Book Festival. We hope to see you there. Taking care of Welcome back. We are listening to Coach Talk Radio and visiting with Ann Tucker of Undoubtedly Awesome. And I was talking with you in the break, and I'd love to ask this so that our listeners can hear exactly what you said as well. As you start to begin making decisions and and learning to trust your decision-making abilities, does it become more uh, confident? Does it become more flow, as we were talking about earlier? Because as you, you know, success tends to breed success. And once you also realize that your worst decision didn't cause the end of the world, (laughs) I I believe it often does help you to move right into the next way of of moving to the next level on decision-making and being confident. Is is that what you have found? 
Yeah, I I would definitely agree with you, Linda. I think there's, from my perspective, there are, everybody has a different way of making decisions. So some people are going to naturally struggle with that that front end of decision making more. Some people struggle more with the front end. Some people people struggle more with the back end, depending on their style. But but the truth is is that if if you get to a place where you um, are feeling more confident because your choices have worked out, it helps you to get away from the idea that the thing you choose has to be perfect. That the truth of the matter is, is that most of the decisions we make, you're going to be choosing between two or three different things that are all pretty equally good. If you know, if you're out shopping for a house and you look at, at and you're trying to decide between two. They're both going to have things that are good and bad about them. And whichever one you choose, in fact, actually doesn't matter all that much. Most of the time, they're both probably really good choices. And understanding that it's how you feel about it after you choose that makes it home, that makes it feel like it's yours. That's the critical piece. And that the specific one you chose is less important. So it's, there's less to lose in making the decision. You can't go wrong as long as you feel good about the decision afterwards most of the time. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Because I, I liken it to a restaurant that has 50,000 items on it. <laughs> you know, like a cheesecake factory menu or something like that. Right. You're familiar with that. And, and I just usually close up a menu like that. I'm much happier when there are fewer choices. So your yeah. guidance to take two or three items to, to give it a thought and then make a choice out of those is very well taken because too much choice is confounding. Oh, for sure. When I go to a place like that, I always just ask the server what the best thing is. <laughs> I do oh the my same God. thing. You I guys do. are so alike. I like to look through everything. I look through oh. the. I, when I go to no. this Thai place near my house, there's like nine pages. Half of it's in Thai, half of it's in English. <laughs> I have to read through the whole menu, and then I order the same thing every time I go. <laughs> No, I, I, I always ask the kitchen because they know what's good or fresh or delicious mm-hmm. for the day. So I end up with the, the you know, usually the, the meal of the day is, is right. better if I do that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Might want to try, San. <laughs> I don't know. I've been eating this, um, what is it, with tofu, the red curry over rice with tofu. And um, I've been eating that for like six years. When that, when the chef dies or the restaurant closes, I don't know what I will do. Every Wednesday night without fail. Well, you'll have to pick two or three other choices, according to Anne. Right, oh, exactly. God. Then I have exactly. to stick with them. Oh my God! Like I'm good at sticking with them once I make them. Like you know, and I like them, and then I've I've rolled it over in my head a million times. I'm like a the poster child for Anne's book. <laughs> I definitely have to get a copy. I'd not heard of it until this show, so I'm thrilled. Well, and I've got to say something, Anne. You know, yeah. this is just me being mean. I get hundreds of books every month from publishers and publicists and self-published uh, yeah. authors. I love the cover. It is so oh, pretty. You. Like, if you go to Amazon right now and look at Undoubtedly Awesome Ann Tucker, look at that cover and now look at it and not feel stressed. Like, that was the <laughs> one thing because some of these self-help books or personal growth, empowerment, whatever you want to call it, category books, I look at the cover. I look at the thickness of the book. I flip through it like a piece of music, like with all those nasty little notes in piano class. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, 
can't even read this. Like, this is stressing me out to read this book. Oh, and I love the cover. Isn't it, isn't it pretty? I just it's, looked it up. Yes, it's beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thanks. I I really wanted it to be um, a book that you would read like you were you were talking to a friend because the it does get a little deep on the theory because you have to 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 really if you really understand what's happening in your head when you make decisions it really does empower you so i wanted to include all that but i wanted to do it in a way that was that was relaxing and felt fun and was a conversation between friends so there's lots of charts and there's lots of pictures and there's a pretty cover oh, it's, <laughs> and it's not hard to follow like i read it right and Anne, when I read it, I'll tell you, I started reading the theory and I was like, oh, God, I can't do this theory. <laughs> so I went to like the nerdy Cosmo quiz in the middle. Yes, we love the nerdy Cosmo quiz. quiz. <laughs> totally love the nerdy Cosmo quiz. But then once I read it, then I'm like, oh, now I see why the theory matters. And I yeah. went back yeah, and I read that's the theory. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Once you understand it, that's the cool part is once you, once you get what's happening, it's like being able to look at your own brain from the outside and you start to see, like you'll catch yourself when you're, when you're going down the path. It's like a well-worn footsteps and you used to do it all the time without knowing it, but now you see it and you know what's going to happen when you do it. So you can, you can stop yourself and, and do it differently. And it really does change how you feel about what you're doing. So it, it makes a difference to, to understand. It, it does make a difference to understand, but I'm also going to give you the visual because I'm such a visual person. Looking at the cover, which is beautiful blues and purples and, and flows and is very pleasing and relaxing, it's almost as though you can take a visual of your head all gnarled up in knots yeah, and feel <laughs> how it just unravels and becomes smooth again or, or picture a messy head of hair and you you brush it smooth again. So, I mean, I, I just really love uh, the, the, the mental visuals because whatever works for you to calm yourself down, become aware. And as you said, when you're self-aware, you can stop the cycle from yeah. going. I'm going to ask you a question though. I've, I've, I'm curious. How do you fit what I would call intuition or gut yeah. into the decision-making process? I think it's a great question. And it's actually, it's, I think it's fascinating because depending on your soul type, your intuition shows up differently. So for some people, it shows up in uh, a knowing of what to focus on. Um, for other people, it shows up like a flash, like a vision where they, they have an inspiration and they see where they're headed, which Linda, I think is probably more what, how you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, anyway, so it's, it varies depending on your specific decision style. The, 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 end, the thing about decision styles is there's seven different soul types in my book. And each one gives you a particular talent, a particular way of solving problems that's, that makes you really, really good at a particular aspect of problem solving. And so the way that intuition fits into that is going to support that particular creative gift that you have. So it, it really is different for each of the seven different, different soul types. That makes sense. I love the combination of the analytical and the mm-hmm. soul types. That's, it's a very, um, you're going to touch everybody with that. I'm an- anxious to read this book. Oh, that's good. The nerdy, like that's the nerdy Cosmo quiz. You get to like read what type of decision maker you are and, and what, and it was fun because she, she diagnosed, I don't know if that's the right word, but, but yeah. on my other show, <laughs> Powered Up Talk Radio, I had read the book and Linda Franklin hadn't, and she just nailed her. She was like, Oh, I can ask you like four questions. And I was in the chat going, Oh, Linda, that's you. Oh, Linda, that's you. 
Oh, so we dear. With, we could do that with Linda Crater if you want. Oh, great. Love yeah. to. Yeah, you want to do it? <laughs> All right. Well, we, we always tease because, you know, I'm on the East Coast, Sandra's on the West Coast, and, and we are – prototypical east and west coasters yeah. <laughs> but even though i was raised in the east i just migrated to the west and all hippied out well whatever works it, it works very well for you it fits you nicely exactly all right so, Anne, do your thing so linda do you on average make decisions and i'm guessing you do it faster than others are you slower or faster no i'm faster I thought so. Okay. So do you, um, when you tell a story or talk about your life with a friend, do you tend to give the whole story or do you tend to just talk about, um, the facts and the, the, the specifics, the details? Are you more detailed? Are you more the whole story, how you feel? That's an interesting question. I, I think other people might answer that I do it differently, but I, I tend to be a very private person, so I tend to give what I'll call the tops of the trees. So it, somebody will have an idea of what I'm talking about, but I don't have to dig into the weeds. Yeah, okay. Um, so would you say that you are more interested in getting started on something or more interested in planning an efficient strategy? Oh, getting started. Okay. Interesting. So, um, uh, let me describe a decision process and see if it sounds like you. So when you, do you have a real bias towards action? Are you always looking to get started as quickly as you possibly can? No, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm rethinking the, here we are on rethinking. Oh, that thing is going to buzz in. Go ahead. No, my, my answer on the, on the get started, because there's always strategy behind something before. You I are so strategic. Like, I, am I was sitting strategic. here going, oh, yeah. I'm no, no, I, I do. you're like, but, hold off, Sam. We got to think this out. Me, yeah, well, you're right, but it doesn't take me a long time to kind of come up with the strategy. It doesn't have to be all fully nailed down, but yeah. I, I do have the, you know, the, the bigger points, uh, on the pathway marked. And then I do love to get into the action. Um, but the strategy's already been done. So I guess I muddied the waters on my answer there. Okay. So, and that's fine. So that, so what I would guess is that you are no, what no, I would call. No, no, we can't give it to, we can't give it away because we're going to commercial break. We're going to make a oh, okay. after the commercial. And I'm just going to totally bust you out on the air, Linda, as your partner in many, <laughs> many partner in crime and many things. Okay. You are very, very, you're very quick thinking, but you're very methodical and you're very strategic, which is one of the things I like about you because I would just go out and pull the trigger and you're like, Sandra, where is your target? What color is your target? And you asked me like five questions and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And they're like, now you can shoot. And she's like, so funny. Do I really do that? Yes, you totally do that. I mean, that's why we're a good, we're a good team. We're a good partnership. We do compliment one another well. Definitely, definitely do. Okay. So, but we're going to find out what Linda is. (laughs) Many are wondering that question. That's right. After our commercial break. Now, uh, this is Sandra Beck of Coach Talk Radio. We are visiting today with Linda Crater of WiseHealth.com and uh, author Ann Tucker of UndoubtedlyAwesome.com. You can find her book on Amazon. It's in paperback, retails for about 14 bucks. You will not be sorry you bought it. Take the Cosmo Quiz, the nerdy Cosmo Quiz in the back to find out what kind of decision maker you are, your soul path, whatever. I forget what it is, but Ann will explain it when we come back from the break. And we're going to find out who Linda really is. And um, and then we're going to laugh. All right. We'll be back after the break. <laughs> 
Laughter was such good medicine, ancient Greek physicians sent their patients to visit comedians to be healed. In the 1300s, surgeon Henry D. Mondeville used to tell jokes with patients in the recovery room. Dr. Mondeville must have been a bit of a vitzel such. That's a person who tells jokes and no one ever laughs. We laugh six times more when in the company of another person than we do by ourselves and 30 times more when we are in a group. Laughter isn't under our conscious control. If you've ever started cackinating at school, in church, or at a funeral, you know what I'm talking about. Cackinating is another word for uncontrollable laughter. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. The fat that is deep within your abdomen and fills the spaces between your internal organs is called visceral or liver fat. This belly fat poses a crucial threat to your health and needs to be taken seriously. Aerobic exercise such as brisk walking, jogging, and swimming burns calories. Resistance exercise such as weightlifting builds bones and strengthens muscles. Both of these modes of exercise are important and both should be a part of your exercise program. Duke University Medical Center researchers performed a study and found that if you are trying to reduce visceral fat, aerobic exercise is your best choice. Aerobic exercise burns 67% more calories than resistance training the researchers found. So concentrate on aerobic exercise to burn away that dangerous visceral fat. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Taking care of business every day. Hey guys and dolls, this is Sandra Beck and we're visiting today with Linda Crater of WiseHealth.com and undoubtedly awesome author Ann Tucker. Now, duh Oh, here we go. <laughs> my sound effects, because I couldn't get my Mac hooked up right. Um, but, okay, let's have it. Let's let's find out who Linda Crater is in her decision-making um, soul. All right, Linda. So your soul type, according to how you answered the questions, would be the efficient soul type. And what this means is that your particular decision process is going to be very strategic, like we were talking about before, that you have the ability to look at things um, from above, like a chess, like a chessboard, and that you're able to figure out um, very easily what are the critical things that have to be done in order to achieve your long-term goals. So, and the word efficient is in there because it is, um, it's not about uh, it, it's really is that, and that's where the intuition fits in, is that you will almost intuitively know what are the steps that you need to take, the, the most important steps you need to take to get you from point A to point B. And there's a level of detachment you're able to have. Um, so in other words, if you're a chess player, you wouldn't hesitate um, uh, to sacrifice your queen to win the game, is that you would know that that was the, the most efficient path forward in order to achieve your long-term goals. So there's there's... Um, does that resonate for you so far? Oh, it, it definitely does. Just that efficient is such a boring word. <laughs> it's not a boring. <laughs> not efficient. at all, actually. Oh, okay. It, it Believe me, you... if I'm stuck on a desert island, I want somebody with me who's efficient. I don't want you know any <laughs> of the other decision makers. I want efficient. 
Well, good. Right. It really is about using your intuition to identify those most critical actions that you have to take in order to get to where you want to go as as, as quickly as possible. Um, It's me. That is me. Yeah. It really is because when things come flying at you as an entrepreneur, you know that. They Mm -hmm. come flying at you so quickly and so rapidly that you must, well, that was redundant, but you know what I'm saying. It it just roars at you and you really need to dodge and weave and do it. Yeah well do it yeah. efficiently right? right and it's a wonderful the your approach and your soul type is actually it's it's a wonderful thing because it makes you incredibly good in business it makes you a fantastic leader um because your ability to see that and to see that bigger picture um that people have a lot of confidence in you know when you say this we, we should go this way everybody's going to follow because you're 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 right <laughs> you have that intuitive ability to see that this is the best path um, so, you know, as an entrepreneur, a business owner, it really, it, it sets you up beautifully. Well, um, glad to hear it. Cause there've been those who said, I hate it when you're right. <laughs> oh, see, I love it. No, it's I have. I've heard that. I've heard that numerous times in my careers and I put an S on that. Um, I have, but, but thank you. That, that, yeah. that does suit me though. That is exactly who I am. Yeah. Is and that why we work so well together, like her soul type and mine? Uh, so yes. what is Sandra's soul type? So it's now, Sandra, remind me, I think you were the, um, uh, let's see, right, were you the expressive? No, that was Linda. Linda or you was were expressive. experimenting. Yes, I was the experimenter. Yes. Like, oh, here it goes, oh. and then let's see how it goes. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So, so what's interesting about that is that you and Linda, so of, of all the different soul types that we all, sh- we all share certain motivations in common, your soul type and, and Linda's soul type share the same motivation, which is a drive to action. So that's going to help you guys in terms of how you work together. You're actually a really good working, working team because Linda is going to set the strategy and Sandra, you're going to be the one that moves it into action. So it's, it really is a beautiful pairing. Oh, um, we have done that with certain clients before, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a very good pairing. So you guys would be really really sympathetic. It's interesting. You you'll find as you read the different soul types that you might find that a lot of your friends will fit into a particular soul type, um, that you'll gravitate towards a particular one. Or a lot of people will actually marry their opposite soul type, <laughs> and it's it's nice because it balances you out. <laughs> We're not going there, okay. right? No. <laughs> No, not batting for that team. Sorry. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. So, no. okay. So, so one of the things, and I, I want to kind of relate this to leadership too in here. Um, Linda and I don't vie for leadership in our partnership. It's really weird. There's some people who I feel vie for the leadership position. Yeah. I don't know who the leader is, Linda. We take turns. It, it's like you're half of my brain and I'm half of your brain. I either like what <laughs> right. you're good at, I stink at. And I, you know, and I don't want to do like, I love that you lo- I love that you look at all these details. I hate to look at the details. Right. It's funny because I think that's what makes us work because we aren't in competition with one another. We're working mm-hmm. on a mutual mission and we are both striving for as good as we can make it. And mm-hmm. if we didn't have that striving, and I, I told you excellence and perfection, you know, have to step out of the way sometimes, but I still think we aim for our very best on everything we do. So we do have different strengths, but I think that's why we're effective together. But we don't compete with one another. That's very true. Right. It's an interesting thing. You know, I developed this this understanding and this methodology 
um, you know, while I was executive coaching and I used this a lot with teams to help them to understand each other better and their work styles. Um, and it, it is really amazing, uh, especially if, if, you know, if you are a coach, if you are working in that, in that industry, um, the, the knowledge in this book in terms of understanding the soul types is phenomenal for working with, with teams because it is uh-huh. a lot of times you'll have people who are, who are opposites in terms of how they pro- solve, you know, solve problems. And if they can just understand that what they are, what they're doing, the way that they're answering the conflict they're having is related to the way that they think. And that if they can just step into each other's shoes and see where the other person is coming from, the conflict is over and mm-hmm. they can meet each other in the middle. They understand how to speak each other's language. So it makes a big difference. But you just brought up something that is really difficult to find in this day and age, stepping into someone else's shoes. Mm-hmm. People don't generally do that much these days. If someone says something contrary to the other person, especially teens, someone is immediately looking up that fact on their smartphone. <laughs> oh my God. You were in my kitchen this morning with my kids. Well, but I mean, I've had teenagers too. And, but, but it really is interesting because I think that they miss out a lot on understanding the difference between convince and persuade and, and how to, um, make other people understand where they're coming from. And communication is yeah. being truncated in my view, um, mm-hmm. currently. And, and it would benefit from what you're talking about, especially with teens. I like that thought of working with teens and their soul types and for communication and engagement, because that's what life is all about. Right. Right. For sure. I think it's, it is not only helping them to understand, cause I think it's really, almost all of us are so much in our own heads that we assume that other people think about things in the same way that we do. And it's because, you know, our, our way of learning about the world is, is from our own perspective. If that's how we feel, we can then be empathetic by assuming that other people feel the same way. If we think a certain way, we assume other people think about it in the same way. It's the first place we learn to go to learn about others is ourselves. So if we have a particular way of solving problems, and it's the only thing, it's very hard to see into another person's head, the first place we start is our own style. And when somebody else doesn't doesn't do it the same way, they don't conform to our expectations, we start to think rather than thinking that, oh, they just have a different decision style or a different way of solving problems or a different soul type, we think, no, they're deliberately withholding information from me. Or we or think, annoying. no, they're really over-controlling. Or, you know, whatever it may be, whatever that, however that expresses itself. Um, but that's not what's happening. What's happening is they are solving the problem differently from you. It's funny because I've, I've always felt different. Yeah. And I think yeah. there, there, are, I, I don't know what the percentages are. There's only one Linda Sandra just wrote. <laughs> Great. I, and there are many who are glad for that. But, you know, it is, it is interesting to me that all these types, are there percentages, rough percentages of the population no. that fit into one category or another? They work out to, to close to even, but there's maybe okay. a little bit more on some than others, but, but it does work out to being close to even. And in, um, when I would use this in workshops, if I divided up the group, um, it'll vary depending on industry, interestingly enough. Certain industries, certain soul types gravitate towards, towards different types of jobs or different types of industries, but it's not a rule. Um, but in terms of the whole population, if you go from company to company or group to group, pop, you know, city to city, you'll find that there's a, a pretty good balance of people. What about entrepreneurs? Like, you know, because I look at my entrepreneurial friends and they really kind of the partnerships that work are a lot like me and Linda's where, you yes. know, she cares about things I don't care about. And it's a nice <laughs> match. 
You guys are very well suited to entrepreneurship. You really are. You're you're yeah, you're very well suited to entrepreneurship and specifically to to growing something at scale would be a thing you should look at. So looking at the, so you guys would be really good at figuring out the systems that you should use or what are the key elements that are repeatable? How do you take something small and essentially franchise it? What is the methodology or the system that you're going to find that allows you to take one and turn it into 50? So that's, that's where your special juice will be. Oh my gosh, that's like Linda always uses the term force multiplier. You know, yeah. the first time she used it, <laughs> I, I had to look it up. She uses it, words like infographic and, you know, <laughs> things I just don't understand. But, you know, the funny thing is, is I think also, um, a tolerance is a big deal in, in entrepreneurial partnerships. You know, when you talk about leadership and shifting and, and, you know, I joke about it, but like Linda has the patience of a saint with me. Like she'll chase me down for 10 <laughs> days for one document (laughs) you're the same way i don't know you're not that you just do what you say you'll do you don't i don't have to chase you down and i know you have to chase me down all the time well you're wearing more hats right now i believe you have younger children that makes a big difference there you go we're back to our boundaries between you know work and home again and leadership so i think those are blending at that point that's true. And I do always call you back, even if I'm in like the line at Costco or I'm like picking <laughs> up my dad's prescription. Um, and, and I think, you know, but I, 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 I'm, I'm so happy today, uh, Ann Tucker, because, you know, you both validated and, and praised Linda's and my working relationship. I mean, we do work really hard. Yes, I do call you from the bathtub too. Um, <laughs> if it's, hey, if you need an answer, I'm there. Like we both get you that. Do. You are and, and you're always there. Thank you. You too. And I want to thank Ann Tucker. And you guys go out and get a copy of her book. It's really good. Undoubtedly awesome. You're going to want to find out what type of decision maker you are, your soul type. Am I calling it right? Right. The soul. What was it? Soul path? Soul soul type. And if they go to undoubtedlyawesome.com, there is a survey there. They can actually take the soul type survey right there on the site and they'll get um, uh, some information about it that's different than what's in the book. Thanks for spending time with us today on Military Mom Talk Radio. We've got more than 200 episodes available to you anytime on iTunes or at our website, MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com. Find us on Facebook or Twitter. We look forward to another great conversation with you on Military Mom Talk Radio.